Disfruta de los placeres sencillos de la vida. What he said. Enjoy the simple pleasures in life. Welcome to the 79th episode of Beer and Fear. My name is Zach. And that's Paige. This week we're talking about crushing. Hard on your significant other. Mm-hmm. This is now a romance podcast. How to crush. People's dreams. People's hopes and dreams. Uh, specifically death by crushing. There's a name for it. I think you, you, you'll probably talk about it. It's in French. Um, I can't pronounce it. We'll talk about that later. Death by crushing. Um, before we get into the beer and the brewery, how has your week been? Um, my week was good. Excellent. I worked. That's it? I mean, I... Worked and saw your family? Yeah. I dig it. How's your fam doing? They're good. I was trying to figure out what week it is. I was very confused for a second there. It is the second week of April. Yeah, they're good. You know, everyone is good. I just worked, worked and saw my family. Spent some time with my sister. Excellent. You said everyone's getting sick at work? Yes. Oh, my fucking God. These goddamn children are never not sick. That's what I'm saying. Um, I figured out the issue with her. Yeah, I was going to tell you about the issue with our episodes. So what happened originally when we had that issue the first time, we're like, you couldn't listen to any of our stuff at all for like a day. It's because Dropbox paused uh, the sharing of links. So I used to upload all the episodes to Dropbox. I would take that link and then attach it to our episode on our website so that when the website published it to like Spotify and wherever else, that link, that source link would be from Dropbox. But apparently we were getting too much traffic because our podcast is so insanely popular um, that they... They were like, whoa, there's too much traffic on these links, so they paused it. And I didn't know that's a thing that they could do. What's too much traffic? Three clicks? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't understand. Uh, so I took everything off Dropbox, and I found a way to do it on Google Drive. But then with the new Google Drive links, a lot of places weren't supporting it. It's like sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. This is silly beans. We had some episodes missing from different things, and like that's that was the issue with Google Podcasts. So... I realized that because on the way that we were publishing our episodes, you can either upload the actual file or you can add a link. And I was adding links because the files were too big to upload. Um, And I realized I could just reduce the file size, (laughs) like reduce the quality. It doesn't need to be the highest quality audio. It's a podcast. So by reducing the quality, it lowered the file size and I'm able to upload everything directly So now we're not going to run into this issue. And it only took us 78 episodes to figure it out. (coughs) That um, we don't need super high quality audio. And everything works now. Yay. Hooray. My booby itches. I Um, hope everyone enjoyed watching that. Yeah. 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 I'm trying to think. Did I do anything? Yeah. How was your week? Um, I I also worked. Oh. We went to Foxfire. (gasps) 
thought we talked about that already. Did we? Oh, yeah, we did. The last episode. Because we got dinner and then we went. Got dinner, then we did the podcast. Home. Home Work. Work. Yeah. No, that's all I did. Wow. Lame life. Yeah. Nothing uh, nothing new or crazy to report. I'm going to be helping out at uh, Center Stage. Yeah, you were telling me about that. Yeah, so I'll, I'll be going after the podcast to, to help out. I don't know how late I'm going to stay, but we're doing their whole system. It's going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to it. Looking forward to it. Oh, episode 79. We're so close to 100. Thank God we're almost done. Almost done. <laughs> episode 79 about crushing. The brewery is Petoskey Brewing Company. It's located at 1844 Harbor Petoskey Road in Petoskey, Michigan, 49770. And I bought this beer the same time I bought the, uh, what was it, the Arbor, Arbor something, the other Michigan beer that we had, Arvon, sorry, Arvon, not Arbor, Space Chase, remember yeah. Space Chase mm-hmm. by Arvon? Mm-hmm. I bought this beer at the same time from the same place in Pentwater, Michigan. So Petoskey Brewing Company, it says our... Uh, Northern Michigan's source for craft beer, pub food, and good times. Our historic Prohibition-era restaurant and brew facility can be found on famous M119 in the heart of all things Northern Michigan. Join us in our tap room to experience made-on-premise handcrafted beer and the best burger in Northern Michigan. So on their website, they don't have like an about us, but they have a pretty extensive uh, history about their building, which I'll show you. Mm-hmm. It's a really cool, really cool building. The building known as the Old Brewery was first completed in 1898 and was used to brew Petoskey Sparkle beer until 1915. According to a 1973 article in the Petoskey News, the Petoskey Brewing Company was originally owned by Frank and Garrett Fochtman. Fochtman? Fochtman. Oh, excuse me. A. Bremeyer and John Zeiger, who also acted as the brewmaster. Hey, random question. Yeah. What's Ick D-I-E-N? Ich Dean? Yeah. I don't know if Dean is a word. Hmm. Ich is I. Dean, I've never heard... Like, I know Ich bin. I am. Ich Dean. Oh. Dean, it is a word. Serve. I serve. Oh. Ich Dean, I hmm. serve. I saw someone's license plate that said that. <laughs> ich Dean. See, shows how much German I actually know. <coughs> The building owes its unique stature to the brewing practices of the late 19th century. With a total of four stories, it's over 70 feet tall, yet only 20 feet deep. The breweries of the day relied on gravity. Thankfully, we have electric pumps today to move water, wort, and beer. I rely on gravity every day. We still have gravity. I don't want to go into space. Wort and beer through the production process. The fourth floor cupola likely contained... (gasps) The word cupola is back? Cupola. Cupola Mm -hmm. has returned! Likely contained a large water tank serving the brewery's needs. The fire brewing, probably wood fire, took place on the third floor, as evidenced by the chimney flues still visible today. Fermentation and packaging likely occurred on the second and first floor as the production followed its way down. Whatever you say, Harry Potter. Here's the building. It's very orange looking. Yeah, it's very old. It's like a church. Old brick building. Um... There's the Petoskey logo. Um, the building's location may also seem a bit 
of an oddity at first, especially given its isolation in the late 1800s. Two factors contributed most to its location. First, the artisan wells on the property ensured a pure supply of water for the brewing process. They say we today use a pure artisan lake. Uh, sorry, a pure artisan spring as a source of our water. Secondly, ice was harvested from Mud Lake, viewed behind the building. So they've got a lake right behind the building that they got ice from. Is it called Mud Lake or is it a Mud Lake? It's Mud Lake. Hmm. During the winter months and utilized throughout the year to cool the building and the finished beer because there's no AC and no power cooling. They had to use ice. That's insane. Uh, the building is an amazing shape considering it is almost 115 years old. This is primarily due to its construction. The walls are 26 inches thick and made from solid red brick. There is also speculation that the high dunes on the opposite side of M119, the highway, protected the building from the destructive winds of Lake Michigan. The building has remained, for the most part, untouched since its construction. The cedar shakes, which now cover a portion of the exterior, actually fill in the spaces where large windows once were. Porter Vaughn, who owned the building... Uh, from some 25 years ago, starting in 1973, performed restorative construction on the roof line that was damaged by years of water penetration. Yeah, water penetration. Since closing in 1915, the brewery building has served as retail shops, as warehousing, and perhaps even as a goat barn. A goat barn? It wasn't until 2012, under the new ownership of and complete renovation by Patrick Dowd and Lou Gostinger that beer once again flowed within the walls of the old brewery. Please come visit and witness a part of great northern Michigan history. I love that. Michigan history. So the beer by Petoskey Brewing Company that we're going to have is called Cranium Crush. Ha. Mm Mm-hmm. This unique ale has actual waffle cones added into the mash. Interesting. Hints of this ingredient can be picked up in the finished beer. Raspberry puree is also added during fermentation. So, raspberry waffle cone beer. This is a cream ale. I was going to ask. Mm-hmm. Oh, you do like those cream ales, I do like those buddy. cream ales. Oh, yes. <laughs> what was that? Oh, yes. This is our third cream ale. Uh, cream ale is a style of American beer which is light in color and well attenuated, meaning drier and with a somewhat higher alcohol content than regular beer. Was the first one... Vera. It was. Mm-hmm. What was the second one? The jalapeno cream ale. That's right. Mm-hmm. Needed more jalapeno. First crafted in the mid-1800s at various breweries in the U.S., cream ale remained a very localized form with different styles until the early 20th century. During Prohibition in the U.S., a great number of Canadian brewers took up brewing cream ale, refining it to some degree. Following the end of Prohibition, cream ale from Canada became popular in the United States, and the style was produced anew in both nations. Cream ale is related to pale lager. I think that's why I like it so much, because it's very very Mm lagery. They're generally brewed to be light and refreshing with a straw to pale gold in color hop and malt flavor is usually subdued but like all beer styles it is open to individual interpretation so some breweries give them a more assertive character while cream ales are top fermented ales they are typically they typically undergo an extended period of cold conditioning or lagering after primary fermentation is complete this reduces fruity esters and gives the beer a cleaner flavor some examples also have a lager yeast added for the cold conditioning stage or are mixtures of ales and lagers. Adjuncts such as corn and rice are used to lighten the body and flavor, although all malt examples are available from many craft brewers. Per craftbeer.com, these are good to pair with salads or mild shellfish, Monterey Jack cheese, and lemon custard tart. I do like a tart. Mm-hmm. I love me a good tart. 
Cranium Crush is 7% ABV, 15 IBU, unknown SRM. It does have a Beer Advocate score of 85. Very good. It's number 54 in Cream Ales, number 21,259 overall, and has an average rating of 3.78 out of 53 ratings. Uh, Petoskey Brewing, you can find them at Petoskey Brewing on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or go to their website, PetoskeyBrewing.com. I'll grab the beer. Okay. I think this is a great opportunity to use uh, the Michigan ah. 31 glass, even though it's not on 31. Um, Michigan glass Michigan. with this Michigan brew. Raspberry waffle cone cream ale. I am fucking excited. Are you? Brewed with pure Michigan artisan spring water. Artisan. I do like the can. Little skella man. <laughs> it's a skull and a, a waffle cone. Skellicone. Skellicone. <laughs> Skellicone. Waffle cone cream ale. Oh gosh. Yes. Oh. Yes. <laughs> You're so funny. I can't smell too much. It smells very raspberry y, though. Yes, very raspberry y. Don't spill. Don't spill. Don't spill. Are don't you telling spill. you or me? Ha 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 ha. Grab a photo. Ha <laughs> ha. Look at that. I'm so proud of myself. Oh, okay. I can kind of smell the waffle cone. Very creamy smelling. Gives me ice cream shop vibes. Hurry up. I'm going to try this. Well, yeah. Very light. Straw, golden color. Straw. It had about a, maybe an inch head, but it went away real quick. <laughs> oh. Inch head. I it does smell like the creamy raspberryness to it. I do enjoy the smell that. very much. Excited. Mm. Maybe I'm tainted by orange juice. is refreshing I don't know what it is with cream ales every single time the smell is really 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 nice yes and then you go to drink it and it's like where is the flavor where did that go yeah yeah where's the flavor it's very very it, it tastes like you're sipping a lager but it's got a much smoother taste to it I mean if you're gonna categorize something as a raspberry cream ale raspberry should be the flavor like, it's in there, but... It's a whisper. It's a LaCroix whisper. A LaCroix whisper. The waffle. Just, here's the cup. Raspberry. <laughs> and that's all, yeah, that's all they need. That's, that's all they need. Just every can. The chef whispers raspberry into every into can. every can <laughs> before canning. I can, I can pick up on the waffliness. The waffliness? The waffliness. But uh, mostly it's just like weedy. And yeah. and light and crisp mm. and smooth, you which like a lager, which I love. Yes, which I love. I just wish there was a little more of the smell in the taste. I agree. So overall, good beer, decent beer. You like it? 
I didn't think it had enough flavor for me to say that I liked it. Take it away. Crushing. Uh, sorry, I gotta, I gotta pull stuff up. I was not prepared. I got distracted. Uh, so, I mean, I guess I don't have anything that's like, this is what it means to be crushed. But like, you know, crushing. It's when you get crushed. Good section. Yep, that's it. That's my <laughs> section. Two seconds. So, there's crushing, like the category execution. Yeah. There's not just like a Wikipedia for like right. crushing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's crushing specifically related to... Execution. Yeah. Specifically. Dying, yeah. So, oh goodness, I should probably turn. Death by crushing or pressing is a method of execution. Got it. You know, that has a history during which the techniques used varied greatly from place to place, generally involving placing heavy weights upon a person with the intent to kill. Hence the word execution. That's what that means. This form of execution is no longer used by any known governments. What? Bring it back. Bring back crashing. What, what did you say at the live episode? Bring back. Public hangings. Public hangings. <laughs> <laughs> crushing by elephant was a common form of murder execution how terrifying do you cover that no okay just making sure mm-hmm. no i don't i don't talk about the specifics of what i just have stories oh okay cool um a common method of death throughout south and east southeast asia for over four thousand years was crushing by elephants the sasanians Romans and Carthaginians. Carthaginians. I know them. Also used this method on occasion. I didn't Mm. know the Romans had such easy access to elephants. They're just all over the place. Uh, It was very common also in India, Uh where Asian elephants were used to crush, or they also were used to dismember or torture captives. Isn't that crazy? Chilling. It's sad. Yeah. But they literally just step on them. Yeah. Basically, they just you have to, you're held down and they step on you. They're like trained to do that shit. And they, that's what. Then their elephants are so gentle. Mm-hmm. Like what is that? Mm-hmm. They don't know what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, in ancient Rome, um, or well, there's an instance of it. Um, Tarpeia, Tarpeia, I think was a Roman maiden who betrayed the city of Rome to the Sabines in exchange for what she thought would be a reward of jewelry. She was instead crushed to death and her body cast from the Tarpeian rock, which now bears her name. Mm, mm-hmm. It was also common in pre-Columbian America, notably in the Aztec Empire. There's a term in French that yeah. I don't know. Uh, for f- basically, that's forceful and hard punishment. Mm-hmm. Couldn't tell you how to say it. No, no idea. It was a method of por- torture formerly used in common law legal system in which a defendant who refused to plead uh, would be subjected to having heavier and heavier stones placed upon his or her chest until a plea was entered. Or as the weight of the stones on the chest became too great for the condemned to breathe, fatal suffocation would occur. How much weight do you think you could... Sustain on your body. I don't know. Why? Like 200 pounds? Maybe. I've been with some very skin. Never mind. (laughs) 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 The common law courts originally took a very limited view of their own jurisdiction. They considered themselves to lack 
jurisdiction over a defendant until he had voluntarily submitted to it by entering a plea seeking judgment from the court. What? Since a criminal justice system that tried and punished only those who volunteered for trial and punishment was practically unworkable, this was mean the means chosen to coerce them. Hmm. Shitty. Many defendants charged with capital offenses nonetheless refused to plead since thereby they would escape forfeiture of property and their heirs would still inherit their estate. But mm-hmm. if the defendant pleaded guilty and was executed, their heirs would inherit nothing. Yeah. Their property being given to the crown instead. Mm-hmm. That French word, that means what this is, yep. was abolished in Great Britain in 1772. And the last known use of the practice was in 1741. In 1772, refusing to plead was deemed to be equivalent to pleading guilty. This was changed in 1827 to being deemed a plea of not guilty. Hmm. Today, in all common law jurisdictions, standing mute is treated by the courts as equivalent to a plea of not guilty. Hmm. I didn't know that. Hmm. I know there's like guilty, not guilty, and then what is it, no contest? I think so. The elaborate procedure was recorded by a 15th century witness in an oft-quoted description. He will lie upon his back with his head covered and his feet, and one arm will be drawn to one quarter of the house with a cord, and the other arm to another quarter, and in the same manner it will be done with his legs, and left there be laid upon his body iron and stone as much as he can bear or more. Pressing to death might take several days, and not necessarily with a continued increase in the load. The freshman Guy... Mige, 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 who from 1668 taught languages in London, says the following about the English practice. For such as stand mute at their trial and refuse to answer guilty or not guilty, pressing to death is the proper punishment. In such a case, the prisoner is laid in a low dark room in the prison, all naked but his privy members. His back upon the bare ground, his arms and legs stretched with cords and fastened to several quarters of the room. This done, he has a great weight of iron and stone laid upon him. His diet, till he dies, is of three morsels of barley bread without drink the next day. And if he lives beyond it, he has nothing daily but as much foul water as he can drink three several times. And that without any bread, which grievous death some resolute offenders have chosen to save their estates to their children. Mm -hmm. But in case of high treason, the criminal's estate is forfeited to the sovereign, as in all capital crimes, notwithstanding his being pressed to death. Um, do you talk about St. Margaret? Um, I believe so. Okay, I'm skipping. Um, let me double check. Or Giles Corey. I talk about Giles. Okay. Yeah, I talk about St. Margaret and Giles. Okay, I'm skipping. So that's crushing by execution, essentially. Mm-hmm. Then there is crush syndrome. Oh, yeah. Um, I, think I, I, I think I saw that, but I didn't read too much about it. It's a medical condition characterized by major shock and kidney failure after a crushing injury to the skeletal muscle. Crush injury is compression of the arms, legs, or other parts of the body that causes muscle swelling and or neurological disturbances in the affected areas of the body. While crush syndrome is localized, crush injury with systematic manifestations. Cases occur commonly in catastrophes such as earthquakes to victims that have been trapped under fallen or moving masonry. Mm-hmm. Victims of crushing damage present some of the cha- greatest challenges in field medicine and may be a situation where a physician is needed in the field. However, field amputations may be necessary in drastic situations. Mm. Uh, <laughs> 
so it sounded like I was <laughs> turning on very <laughs> <laughs> Sego 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 Minami, a Japanese physician, first reported crust syndrome in nineteen twenty-three. He studied the pathology of three soldiers who died in World War II due to kidney failure. The renal changes were due to the buildup of excessive myoglobin. Uh, resulting from the destruction, destruction of muscles from lack of oxygen. These changes can also be seen in persons who are buried alive. The progressive acute kidney failure is because of acute tubular necrosis. The syndrome was later described by British physician Eric Bywaters in patients during the 1941 wartime bombing of London, or the Blitz. Mm -hmm. It is a reperfusion injury that appears after the release of the crushing pressure. The mechanism is believed to be the release into the bloodstream of muscle breakdown products, notably myoglobin, potassium, and phosphorus, that are the products of the breakdown of skeletal muscle damage. Very sciencey. The specific action on the kidneys, kidneys is not understood completely. The kidneys. The kidneys, but maybe due partly to nephrotoxic meta metabolites oh, of yeah. myoglobin. I know those metabolites. Those nephrotoxic ones. Yeah. Those are my favorite. It's a toxicity Metabolics. of the of the kidneys. Toxicity of the, the kidneys. Is it toxicity of the city? <laughs> I was singing the song by System of a Down. I have no idea what that is. Toxicity of the kidneys. <laughs> you good? No. No. You said the the necrosis was tubular? Tubular. Some tubular necrosis, bruh. Tubular, bruh. It's necrosis. You see those curls out there? You see those sweet waves? There's no distinct treatment option that can undo the effects and damage from crushing syndrome. Ra uh -huh. Rhabdomyolosis, myolysis, rhabdo, whatever. Because it is a necrosis, however, the rate of the pathology that can lead to more complications can be decreased by acting early and consistently. Mm. Mm -hmm. mm. Overall treatment depends on preventing kidney failure, which is done by rehydrating the patient. It also depends on making urine have a more basic pH. You thirsty? Drink some water. Some water. Do you need some water? <sighs> some water? Some water. Uh, and then severe crush injury in adults. Um, so basically it's what I talked about before, but uh, direct physical trauma to the torso, extremities, or other parts of the body from external crushing force. Uh, severe compression results in direct tissue trauma and the uh, fancy reperfusion injury that I talked about. Once the compressive forces are released, muscle injury and swelling can occur with possible muscle necrosis and neurologic dysfunction. Think that's everything? You got me thinking. I I never um, I I haven't looked at uh, I didn't look into people who were crushed accidentally, like cases of that. I looked at this is this episode's more about crushing as like a torture method. Uh -huh. Um, but I I didn't really look at like famous cases or like any popular cases of people getting crushed. I would imagine it's mostly um, vehicle accidents. Yeah, mostly being like crushed by a vehicle. Let's see. A lot of people getting uh, crushed at work, working with like heavy machinery, and a lot of like car accidents. Well, there's also crushed to death by uh, stampede. 
Oh yeah, yeah. We we talked a little bit about that. We talked about that in concerts. Yeah, death concert and concerts. Deaths, yep, that's right. Oof. I don't know why I'm looking at photos, but I should stop. Why? Some of it's pretty brutal. <clears throat> so yeah, uh, the Giles and the the Saint. Oh, there was a one recently at a football game. St. Margaret. People were crushed at a football game? Yeah. I mean, it's probably like soccer, football. Ah. You know. The other football? Yeah. So I'll talk about those those people that you that you mentioned. Um, this is from back in, the, back in the days. The most infamous case in England was that of Roman Catholic martyr St. Margaret Clitheroe. Who, that sounds way too close to clit. Who, in order to avoid a trial in which her own children would be obliged to give evidence and could be tortured, was pressed to death on March 25th, 1586, after refusing to plead to the charge of having harbored Catholic priests in her house. So that's pretty noble of her. She didn't want her children to, to be tortured, and so she... Took the took the blow herself. Hmm. She was executed on Lady Day, fifteen eighty six. Bring back Lady Day. What is Lady Day? Um, couldn't tell you. Let me look it up. Lady Day is the traditional name in some English speaking countries of the Feast of the Annunciation, which is celebrated on March twenty fifth and commemorates the visit of the Archangel Gabriel to the Virgin Mary, during which he informed her that she would be the mother of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So I guess Lady Day is still a thing. As an atheist, I didn't know that. Uh, So she was executed on Lady Day, 1586, which also happened to be Good Friday that year. In the toll booth at Ose Bridge by being crushed to death by her own door. The standard uh, inducement to force a plea was apparently being crushed by her own door. Oh, my. The two sergeants, who should have carried out the execution, hired four desperate beggars to do it instead. She was stripped and had a handkerchief tied across her face, then laid across a sharp rock the size of a man's fist. The door from her own house was put on top of her and loaded with an immense weight of rocks and stones so that the sharp rock would break her back. Her death occurred within 15 minutes but her body was left for six hours before the weight was removed. She died together with her unborn child under a weight of at least 784 pounds. Wow, that's depressing. Yeah. That's pretty dark. Several hardened criminals yielded to this kind of torture. Uh, William Spigot in 1721 remained mute. He remained mute for about half an hour. Under 350 pounds, but pleaded to the indictment when an extra 50 pounds were added. Mm. So, Spigot can't handle 400 pounds. Edward Burnworth, 1726, pleaded after an hour and three minutes at 422 pounds. Others, such as Major Strangways, 1658, and John Weekus, 1731. Weekus. Refused to plead, even under 400 pounds, and were oh. killed when bystanders, out of mercy, sat on them. Oh, jeez. <laughs> the only death by... By... Snoo Snoo? <laughs> we should... That should be an episode, Death by Snoo Snoo. Oh, God. 
We the did Kinky Death. Oh, we should have talked by Death by Snoop Snoop. Um, the only death by... Okay, fuck it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. Pen forte dur. That didn't answer anything. Pen forte et dur. Pen forte dur. Pen forte dur. Wow. Pen forte dur. Pen forte dur. It's the French thing. The only death by pen forte dur. Hard and forceful punishment. In American history was uh, Giles Corey who was pressed to death on September 19th, 1692, at the age of 81, during the Salem Witch Trials, after he refused to enter a plea in the judicial processing. Martha Corey, Giles' third wife, was arrested for witchcraft on March 19th, 1692. Corey was so swept up by the trials that he initially believed the accusations against his wife, until he himself was arrested based on the same charge on April 18th along with Mary Warren, Abigail Hobbs, and Bridget Bishop. The following day, they were examined by the authorities, during which Abigail Hobbs accused Giles of being a wizard. Corey denied the accusations and refused to plead, was sentenced to prison, and subsequently arranged at the September sitting of the court. Court records from September 9th, 1692 contain a deposition by one of the people who accused Giles of witchcraft in Mercy Lewis versus Giles Corey. I saw the apparition of Giles Corey come and afflict me, urging me to write in his book, and so he continued most dreadfully to hurt me by times beating me and almost breaking my back till the day of his examination being the 19th April 1692 and then also during the time of his examination he did afflict and torture me most grievously and also several times since urging me vehemently to write in his book and I verily believe in my heart that Giles Corey is a dreadful wizard for since he had been in prison he who his appearance had come and most grievously tormented me you're the theater kid nobody wanted Hey, I, that was pretty good, okay? Again, okay. in this court, Corey refused to plead. Uh, I think you talked about this. I'm going to read it again anyway. According to the law at the time, a person who refused to plead could not be tried. To avoid people cheating justice, the legal remedy for refusing to plead was pain for the day. In this process, prisoners were stripped naked and heavy boards were laid on their bodies. Then rocks or boulders were laid on the planks of wood. This was the process of being pressed. Remanded to the prison from whence he came and put into a low dark chamber, there he laid on his back on bare floor naked, unless when decency forbids that there be placed upon his body as great a weight as he could bear, and more that he hath no sustenance, save only on the first day three morsels of the worst bread, and the second day three draughts of standing water. That should be alternately his daily diet, till he died, or till he answered. As a result of his refusal to plead, on September 17th, Corey was subjected to the procedure by Sheriff George Corwin, but he was steadfast in that refusal, nor did he cry out in pain as the rocks were placed on the boards. After two days, Corey was asked three times to enter a plea, but each time he replied, more weight. And the sheriff complied. 
Occasionally, Corwin would even stand on the stones himself. Robert Califf, who was a witness along with other townsfolk later, said, In the pressing, Giles Corey's tongue was pressed out of his mouth. The sheriff, with his cane, forced it in again. There are several accounts of Corey's last words. The most commonly told one is that he repeated his request for more weight. As this was how it was uh, dramatized in The Crucible. But it may also have been more rocks. More rocks, please. Another telling notes it as, Damn you, I curse you in Salem. It's very different from more weight. Many defendants charged with capital offenses would refuse to plead in order to avoid forfeiture of property. You talked about that. They lose their shit if, um, if they plead guilty. But if they stay quiet, it goes to their... Um, What's the word? Inheritance. Inheritance. Their heirs. Their heirs, yes. It is unusual for people to refuse to plead and extremely rare to find reports of people who have been able to endure this painful form of death in silence. Since Corey refused to plead, he died in full possession of his estate, which would otherwise have been forfeited to the government. It passed on to his two sons-in-law in accordance to his will. Corey's wife, Martha, who was also charged, I think, with witchcraft, was hanged three days later. Uh, September 22nd, 1692. She had a son from a previous marriage named Thomas. He showed up as a petitioner for loss and damages resulting from his mother being executed illegally during the witch trials. He was awarded 50 pounds on June 29th, 1723. The gruesome and public nature of Corey's death may have caused residents of Salem to rethink their support for the witch trials. Corey was absolved of the crime in 1712, although Martha was not. Despite Corey's efforts to protect his estate by refusing to plead, George Corwin still attempted to extort money from Corey's heirs after the witch trials. In 1710, Corey's daughter Elizabeth and her husband John Moulton filed a lawsuit seeking damages from Corwin. Her statement to the court read, After our father's death, the sheriff threatened to seize our father's estate, and for fear that of we complied with him and paid him £11, six shillings in money. Everyone sounded like that uh, back then. It's a fact. According to a local legend, the apparition of Giles Corey appears and walks his graveyard each time a disaster is about to strike the city. Notably, he was said to have appeared the night before the Great Salem Fire of 1914. The position of Sheriff of Essex County was also said to have suffered from the curse of Giles Corey, as the holders of that office since George Corwin had either died or resigned as a result of heart or blood ailments. Corwin died of a heart attack in 1696. So, there's a curse going around. The curse was said to have been broken when the Sheriff's office was moved from Salem to Middleton in 1991. Mm, That's what it does, yes. Yep, all you gotta do is just Just move. move. Yep. Curse can't follow you. Everyone knows that. That is my section. Oh, you see It was decent. I love me a good cream ale. Cream ales are tasty. Um, but this one might have been my least favorite of the three cream ales that we had. I agree. Vera is still my favorite. I really liked the jalapeno cream ale. I want to have that again. We need to go back to South South Dakota. Okay. Because uh, I, I really like that. Even though, yes, it smelled like peppery, but tasting it, 
Not a whole lot in there. Same thing with Vera. Not a whole lot of pistachio, but it's like a hint. It's a whisper, like you said. This one, I didn't get too much. Uh, it smelled great. It looks great. It tastes great. Very smooth and crisp and refreshing, but um, not a whole lot of flavor. But hey, if that's the beer that you want, that's the beer you're looking for, if the, that's the beer you have a taste for, then um, you do you, bruh. What about you? I wasn't blown away. I agree with what you said. Vera is better. Um, oh, I forgot I had some photos. <sighs> this one's very small. I had a pee. This is Giles. Okay. It's being crushed. That is a that is an artist rendition of um, it being crushed. You can see the board and all those big ass boulders. I see. And I think that's the sheriff. And that's Mary Joanne. Oh, okay. There. Uh huh. And this is um, pin Dude's just naked on a floor with a piece of metal and some weights on him. <sighs> Should we bring back uh, public crushing? No. Okay. Just public hanging. Yes. All right. Beerandfearcast.com is our website. All of our uh, podcast episodes are on there. You can listen to them as they are released every every Wednesday at noon, Wednesday, 12 p.m. Central Time. Uh, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, any other podcast pet platform that you use, we are back on. And um, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, you can keep up to date with our stuff. And send us an email, beardfearcast at gmail.com, if you want. No one's gonna. But I still say it at the end of every episode because it makes me feel good. Have a good day.